Virtually any observer would agree that COVID-19 brought the lengthiest economic expansion in American history to a jarring end. But the economy was vulnerable in other ways, including in the form of large amounts of accumulated debt prior to the pandemic. As indicated by the Wall Street Journal, this matters because economies that carry an abundance of debt generally suffer weaker recoveries. In the presence of significant debt, businesses and consumers focus on reducing their liabilities during downturns rather than spending cash. And spending is what is, of course, required for an economy to rebound. All told, the borrowing induced by years of low interest rates prior to the pandemic adds up to $64 trillion in consumer, business, and government debt. That's more than triple America's gross domestic product. The consumer is the economy's most important element. High household debt levels tend to lengthen recessions and amplify their severity according to a study of advanced economies over 30 years conducted by researchers at the International Monetary Fund. Prior to the coronavirus-induced downturn, many households expanded their borrowing with auto loans, student debt, and credit cards. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. According to recently released Federal Reserve data, many American families shored up their savings significantly during the three years leading up to 2020. Despite that, wealth inequality remained stubbornly high. The Federal Reserve's Survey of Consumer Finances indicates that median net worth climbed by 18% during those three years. As indicated by writer Gina Smialik, the survey commenced in 1989, is released every three years, and is considered the gold standard in data regarding the financial circumstances of American households. The figures tell a tale of improving personal finances driven by income gains and expanding home prices, a legacy of the lengthiest economic expansion in American history. The expansion pushed the unemployment rate to a 50-year low and supported wage increases among those earning the least. Still, many Americans reported less in savings than they did prior to the last recession more than a decade ago. Moreover, significant wealth inequality persists, with the share of wealth owned by the top 1% of households still near a three-decade high. In 1989, the top 1% of wealth holders held about 30% of the nation's net worth. Today, that figure is in the range of 40%. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. Both before and during the pandemic, governments around the nation have been wrestling with how to regulate the emerging gig economy. The gig economy is defined as a labor market characterized by a prevalence of freelance work as opposed to permanent jobs. These freelancers often lack health insurance and other benefits. Accordingly, some governments have insisted that freelancers like Uber and Lyft drivers be considered employees. Others have created minimum pay standards. Late last month, the Seattle City Council approved a minimum pay standard for Uber and Lyft drivers, becoming the second American city to do so. As indicated by writer Noam Scheiber, under the law, which will be effective in January, ride-hailing companies must pay a sum roughly equivalent to the city's $16 minimum hourly wage for businesses with more than 500 employees. The law passed in a 9-0 vote. It is modeled on a measure that New York City passed in 2018. Last year, California approved legislation that effectively required Uber and Lyft to classify drivers as employees rather than as independent contractors, assuring them protections like a minimum wage, overtime pay, workers' compensation, and unemployment insurance. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu.
After tumbling in March and April, American economic activity has been springing back to life since May. That month, the nation added 2.7 million jobs. Then 4.8 million jobs were added the next month. But as indicated by writers Nelson Schwartz and Gillian Friedman, the American economy is presently being assaulted by a fresh round of corporate layoffs. Companies announcing layoffs include Disney, the insurance giant Allstate, and two major airlines that jointly announced intentions to fire or furlough more than 60,000 workers. Many economists point out that measures passed months ago to help the economy weather the initial contraction have wound down, including the expiration of a $600 a week federal supplement to unemployment insurance benefits. The supplement ended in July. In August, personal income in America dipped by 2.7%. Among the recent layoff announcements is Houghton Mifflin Harcourts, one of the nation's largest book publishers. That company has indicated an intention to cut 22% of its workforce, including 525 employees who were laid off and 166 who chose to retire. The company is a major supplier of educational books and materials, a business damaged by school closings. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. The Wall Street Journal recently surveyed a group of business and academic economists. Collectively, those economists indicate that they did not expect the U.S. labor market to claw back the jobs lost during the pandemic until 2023 or later. That represents a slower timeline than economists had predicted just six months ago. Despite the fact that the economy has gained back millions of jobs since May, many economists are becoming more pessimistic as hiring gains slowed sharply heading into the fall and as more layoffs turned permanent. As indicated by writers Harriet Torrey and Anthony DeBarros, the U.S. was home to nearly 11 million fewer jobs in September than it was in February. Nearly 4 million of the jobs lost are in the leisure and hospitality sector, according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Economists indicate that the recovery in travel and hospitality has been softer than was expected during the earlier stages of the pandemic because of stubbornly elevated coronavirus infection rates. Many economists are also concerned by the lack of additional fiscal stimulus coming from federal policymakers and the prospects for accelerating COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations during the months to come. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu.